Marking its 40th anniversary in 2022, Blue Door is the largest emergency housing provider in York Region, providing life-saving support to children, youth, adults, seniors, and families at risk or experiencing homelessness. Along with offering emergency housing and housing retention support, in the past two years, Blue Door has expanded its service offering to further work toward preventing and ending homelessness through inclusion, the first supportive housing program for two SLGBTQ plus youth in York Region. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, providing supported skills training to help youth and adults break barriers to employment and secure meaningful careers in construction trades and launching in 2022 a health hub which will include a nurse and in-reach system navigator to help people regain the health and well-being needed to secure and retain permanent housing. Join Blue Door's mission and become part of the solution by learning more at bluedoor.ca. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squahomish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to On The Way Home, a podcast dedicated to the issues surrounding homelessness and the incredible experts making a difference in the lives of homeless people. Remember to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you're listening and share it with a friend. Welcome to another episode of On The Way Home. I am right now in Toronto, Ontario. It is 9 a.m. when we're recording this and I am fresh and pumped about this podcast. Uh, I am coming to you, of course, from Baludor. Uh, my organization that resides up in York Region, just north of Toronto, doing some fabulous stuff, including a really cool program called Construct, where uh, we have a program where we launch people into the trades, where, hey, get this, they have a meaningful uh, employment experience and a living wage, which prevents them from falling into homelessness, which is really cool. And here's the other benefit, too. We're a full-blown construction company, so we can build that much-needed housing that's out there and guess what bring in revenue so we don't have to be so dependent on the government once they get things started for us so it's very very cool and listen I was gonna say as always I'm joined by but lately I have not been joined (laughs) by anyone I've been singing that song all by myself um, and crying into my my Cheerios in the morning Um, but for coming back and for the last time I am joined by the fabulous Stefania from C-A-E-H Steph how the heck are you? I'm good. I'm good. And I'm a little bit, you know, melancholy because, as you said, today is my last podcast uh, as your co-host. Uh, and it has been such an honor and such a ride. Thank you for, you know, just like manning that helm for the last few months. Um, I know it, it, you make it look so easy, but it, there is a ton of work behind the scenes that goes into this podcast and as you know I will be leaving the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness as their communications advisor and moving on to my next post I will be joining the Women's National Housing and Homelessness Network as well as Keepers of the Circle as their brand spank and new advocacy and communications team lead which I'm so excited about but it really took a really tantalizing offer like that to take me away from this incredible podcast and the CH, of course. So 
Thank you, Michael, for having me back, even though it's for one last ride. Hey, but what a good one, too. I mean, listen, I was saying before when we were chatting with our mystery guest that we'll introduce soon that we are losing a touch of class from this podcast. <laughs> you have that kind of CBC-ish voice. <laughs> Welcome to uh, Very Common. the journalism background. Reassur- yeah, it's that yeah. journalism voice, right? <laughs> that touch of class that we will lose. And speaking of class mm-hmm. and high class and amazing, I am so pumped. Like, talk about going out on a high note. We have an awesome guest today that I'm super excited about. Can you tell us about them? Absolutely, I can. And, you know, when we were last chatting and you were saying, hey, we've got this person booked, we've got this person booked, you know, well, this one, it's at 6 a.m. your time, but it's, uh, you know, our incredible guest. And I was like, that one, that is the one I want to go out on. I'm so pumped to get this opportunity. And I would love to introduce. Um, so in March, our guest, Marie-José Hull, was appointed as Canada's federal housing advocate for a three-year term. She brings over 18 years of experience as a grassroots advocate working directly with communities and Canadians across the country to improve housing in Canada. No small feat. She's worked with Action Logement, the Ontario nonprofit housing corporation, and the Agency for Cooperative Housing, Affordable Housing, among others. The role of the federal housing advocate is to promote and protect housing rights in Canada by independently conducting research, consulting with individuals with lived experience of housing need and or homelessness, working with vulnerable groups and civil society organizations as well as reviewing and assessing submissions on systemic housing issues under federal jurisdiction. Marie-José, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm just excited to be here because we've been we've been talking about this for a long time, so I'm glad we were finally able to make it happen. It's an honor. Well, it goes both ways or three ways because I know Michael is really, really excited as well. So I'm going to kick things off um, and ask you our sort of traditional first question that we ask all of our guests. Despite it being the same question, it is always incredible, the array of answers that we get. So what does home mean to you? It's a great question. And, and home is, is first and foremost choice-based. People want to be there. Um, that it is a place that is secure, meaning that they have security of tenure, that they feel safe where they can live in dignity. Uh, it's a place where um, that meets their basic needs that are quite in line with the human rights definition in terms of affordability for them, uh, that is habitable, that is secure, that is culturally relevant, and that is located to uh, close to basic needs such as basic social services, grocery stores, uh, education. And, and it, it is inextricably linked to other human rights such as access to education, um, being able to vote. Um, it's, it's a whole lot more than, than just four walls and a roof or, or just an output as, as some groups are, are referring to housing. Uh, absolutely. It, it is more than those uh, than that physical structure. You talked about access. And today we are also talking before the podcast about accessibility. You want to be truly accessible. I find you very much are. Um, and you said, hey, call me MJ. Uh, I want to be accessible and I'm going to do just that. So MJ, this was not your first posting. You've got 18 years 
of experience, long time uh, in this sector. Can you tell us about some of your personal highlights during those 18 years of awesome work? Well, first, I, I need to tell you that not many people go to school to work in housing and homelessness. It's a thing you kind of <laughs> fall into by accident, and that was exactly the case. I'd moved to Ottawa just after finishing up a master's degree, and I was looking for work, and I ended up with a short-term contract with a Cooperative Housing Federation of Canada and the Cooperative Housing Association of Eastern Ontario. So co-ops is really where my journey began. And then I started working front lines in co-ops. Uh, and then I was picked up by, uh, became a partner with Sound Advice Consulting. And we built nonprofits and housing co-ops in Ontario, mostly in Ottawa. We had a few that we were trying to get off the ground in Thunder Bay and in some more rural regions of Ontario unfortunately without success uh, the programs just didn't work at the time and then I became the executive director of an, a mid-sized nonprofit housing corporation and the last five years I spent with Action Lejma which is a housing loss prevention organization and my team was such a well-oiled machine that they didn't they didn't need me micromanaging or getting in their way you know my um, I was my colleagues were paralegals and and uh, social workers, housing case workers, and uh, so that allowed me to get really heavily involved in, ad uh, in advocacy. So I wrote and presented deputations, I did a lot of education, there was a huge uh, you know, uh, mandate around uh, the legal knowledge, so I did a lot of teaching. I'd done for the Cooperative Housing Association of Eastern Ontario, I'd, I'd done some guest chairing and and um, did uh, all kinds of strategic planning sessions with co-op boards and education. But I also did bylaw reviews. So I knew the law, you know, legislation inside out and backwards. So being able to uh, teach um, and give workshops to frontline workers uh, in Ottawa on all kinds of subjects from the RGI programs or any of the subsidy programs, the differences between them and, um, you know, how people can access them to um, housing as a human right. So I, I kind of did a, a full turn on the ground, which was just wonderful because one experience fed to the other, to the other. And it was really interesting because I have the experience as a landlord as well as a tenant advocate. And I realized that the landlord-tenant relationship is one that's symbiotic. You can't have one without the other, but then there needs to be an appropriate balance between the two as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you mentioned co-ops because I also have a personal connection to that, uh, that that dates back to when my husband was a little kid and his single mom with two older siblings was able to raise them in a beautiful housing cooperative in Burnaby, B.C., <clears throat> and it was right across the street from a school and had all those, you know, accesses to other rights that you mentioned. And I just think co-ops play such an important role in our housing spectrum in Canada. So the question I have for you uh, is one that I think, you know, has been such an incredible development over the last few years because all of this is so new. Right. It really only came to be when the National Housing Strategy Act in uh, 2018, 2019, you know, came to be and developed a really unique uh, process for the right to housing in Canada. So what can you tell us about the federal housing advocate role and the right to housing? Just, you know, super easy questions. <laughs> well, it took two years for my colleagues to interpret 
uh, the actual act and, and, you know, they've been working really hard at developing all the tools and really knowing what this role is all about. So uh, in essence, I'm a watchdog for housing and homelessness in Canada. Uh, the role of the federal housing advocate is one that's independent and nonpartisan. Um, it boils down to amplifying the voices of people experiencing inadequate housing and homelessness and uh, driving systemic change so that government legislation, policies and programs uphold the right to adequate housing. When it comes to specific duties, uh, the role involves engaging with people. So we've been engaging with people with lived experience of inadequate housing and homelessness, civil society groups and governments. And since my appointment, I've also had the privilege of meeting with and learning some of, um, you know, from some of these groups. Uh, and this will remain a priority for me throughout my mandate. Uh, we also will be receiving submissions from the public and organizations about systemic housing issues. So our submissions tool was recently launched and it can be accessed through our website. It needs to be noted that this is not an individual complaints mechanism, but it will allow people across the country to tell their stories and to help me understand which issues are happening most often and most importantly, who is being impacted. Uh, we'd be conducting research and studies of systemic housing issues and some of the key issues we're looking at in our research so far include a human rights based analysis of the national housing strategy which was uh, launched in 2017 and uh, we're looking at the financialization of housing, uh, security of tenure and evictions and encampments. We'll be uh, conducting advocate-led reviews of systemic housing issues, or we will be referring these matters to the National Housing Council. Uh, the council will establish a review panel to examine the issue more closely and make recommendations. Um, members of affected communities will be involved and will participate in the review process. And then the advocate-led reviews and the review panels both report their findings and recommendations to the minister. This is a way to target the most critical systemic issues as well as um, you know, push governments forward to take action on these issues. We're going to monitor the implementation of the right to housing and also the goals, timelines and outcomes of the national housing strategy. We'll submit recommendations to the minister responsible for housing in uh, regular reports and in an annual report. We, we just submitted ours at the, the end of April. And the really interesting thing about this is that the minister must respond and the minister also has to table our report in Parliament. So given the complexity of housing issues, our recommendations will be important for other ministers and other levels of government because all levels of government are duty bearers when it comes to housing as a human right. Well, that's so great and that definitely answers my next question unless you had anything else you'd like to add but I was going to ask you know how does the human right to housing fit in the advocates role but I really feel like you you address that well the the right to housing is first and foremost about human dignity uh, everyone has the right to live in safe secure affordable homes that meets their needs and to be free from discrimination or harassment and the human right to housing well it's it's not just a slogan so it, it is um, defined in international law and it is enshrined in Canada's domestic law under the National Housing Strategy Act. So ultimately the purpose of this 
is to ensure that uh, systemically disadvantaged groups have adequate housing and that Canada fulfills its human right. Some groups who face the biggest barriers to housing include First Nations, Métis and Inuit people, um, and um, people who are racialized, people who are trans or non-binary, uh, seniors, people with disabilities, and particularly women within these groups. So Canada's commitment to upholding housing as a human right uh, means that it has several obligations that it must live up to. That, that's uh, that's awesome. I mean, it's quite often we hear about the human right to housing and people say, well, what's that mean? How do we act? And you're talking about this is how we put it into action, which is great. Love hearing about dignity too. Too often, I think, uh, in, in the work that I do and across the sector, uh, we hear or people think of good enough. And, and I always say good enough is not good enough. Is that good enough for you? Is that good enough for, like, we, we have to set the bar a little higher. Even the word adequate, I get it. We've got to start. But but we say, ah, that's adequate. It's to be, it's good enough. We want to push uh, even harder. Now, there is lots going on. And I know, funny story too, um, uh, MJ's first day, I think the, the appointment dropped, the news dropped, and I was on an email saying, hey, come on the podcast. So she said, buddy, slow your roll. Uh, love to come on, but uh, could you actually let me figure out the job first? But she did, and now we're here. And all these different pieces that are really cool through the National Housing Strategy coming together, your appointment. There's also the National Housing Council. And so uh, you've touched a little bit on this, but how does it fit with the National uh, Housing Council, your role? Well, the National Housing Council is appointed as well. And uh, you know they are meant to represent different groups. So people with lived experience, people working in housing co-ops, um, people working in, um, you know, indigenous housing as well. Very, very important. And uh, they, you know, we convene meetings with them. I sit as an ex officio, as does Minister Fox and um, Minister Gillis, as well as Romy Bowers from CMHC. We don't have the right to vote. We are ex officio, but we are present because what is happening with with the National Housing Council has a huge impact on our work. Um, and also it's to ensure that there's no surprises. National Housing Council, uh, I meet co-chair um, Tim Richter from the Alliance to End Homelessness on a regular basis to discuss the work of the council and to discuss the work of the advocate and how, how these are separate, but they, they are you know two sides of the same coin how we complement uh, each other's work, and then I am meant to um, submit a systemic issue to them to, um, you know, the, they would build a, a review panel and then they would do go through the process. So because everything's so new, we're still in, you know, we're gonna be testing our process very soon or their process and, um, you know, provide some training. But this is really a, a justice mechanism, our access to justice mechanism for the people that have done submissions to the federal housing advocate as well, because they are going to be involved um, in in the review if they so choose. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the Greater Toronto Area. More than a business with a heart. Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty 
and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Very cool. Uh, it's so exciting to have all these these you know, new pieces and pushing the, the agenda forward. Now, we are in a housing crisis. I think, you know, there were the, the folks that were in denial for a while are no longer uh, denial as we see, uh, you know, the cost of everything going up right now. And, and if you talk about the, the rising use of food banks, people will say that is a symptom of housing costs, right? Uh, when I can't afford my, when I put all my money into housing, I think it was the food bank survey too that said of uh, this year that, that um, people accessing the food bank after paying for housing costs had $9 left over uh, and indigenous and, and black uh, had $6 left over after paying uh, for housing for food and, and you know uh, why they're going to the, the food bank. We are uh, in a housing crisis across the nation uh, and, and it looks a little different in different places. What do you think are some of the most pressing issues that uh, we need to address? Well, there are, there are a lot. There's so many. Um, you know, I, I see that the government made, the federal government made a commitment to great investments in housing in the most recent budget. See that as a good sign. However, uh, we're not going to be able to build our way out of this crisis when we cannot stop the loss. We're hemorrhaging housing and housing that is affordable through all kinds of mechanisms. Um, you know, Steve Pomeroy, who's a researcher in, um, you know, in housing in Canada, uh, reported uh, that between 2016 and 2020, in some regions, uh, for every unit of affordable housing, which costs a fortune to build, um, that we built, we're losing 15. So we'll never be able to catch up unless we actually address this loss. And the biggest mechanism of loss is really through financialization. Um, so, you know, the, um, we are asking governments to dedicate all available resources to address housing needs of those um, most in need in a short, short um, period possible. We need to stop the loss. So preserving the naturally occurring housing stock that is more affordable um, is a lot cheaper than building new. Uh, it is an immediate fix rather than waiting two to five years for a new build. And it's ensuring that uh, also the investments that are targeted to those, um, uh, you know, the, well, that actually reach those most in need. So uh, groups most equipped to do this over the long term are community housing providers, you know, nonprofit housing corporations, housing co-ops, social housing providers, and they all have long term capital plans and investments as well. So, and yet, however, their aim is not to profit at all costs, which is what we've been seeing a whole lot of on the ground over the last few years, a whole lot more amplified. Uh, the pandemic did not start this problem. Uh, the pandemic only amplified it. So during the economic instability during the pandemic, housing became a really great place to park money and make a whole lot of profit. When billions of dollars are being funneled to, um, to investors, you know, that is, that's a sign. <laughs> that's a huge sign. So, um, and as someone who spent the past five years working in a housing loss prevention, um, I'm really interested or equally interested in successful tenancies. So that means supports for people either in supportive housing or in other locations or their choice uh, where they do have wraparound supports. But there's currently a huge wait list for housing supports. 
Um, many of the programs are time limited. Um, they absolutely need more funding. Uh, they need to be flexible. They, you know, people's needs. It's not just a one-time investment. You know, we're going to invest in you, and you get help for one year, and then, oops, there you go. You know, with Action Lejman, because we were light touch, uh, we cast a, a broad net. Everyone could access our our programs, but. Um, there were a lot of things we weren't able to do because we didn't specialize in mental health or in uh, addiction. But where we could help, we, we did what we could. That, um, that being said, I was most interested as executive director in the clients that would come back to us, cycle back to us, maybe three, four years after we helped stabilize their housing situation. And so, you know, for some people, their journey's not linear. And it's really inhumane for um, people to lose everything, to end up homeless, lose all their goods, lose their dignity, and end up in a homeless shelter, and that is the only point of access for real help and real support. Uh, it's not financially sound either. It costs a fortune. And, and then there's people that we just have to accept who will always need supports, and we should be okay with that. So what I'm really pushing for is, um, you know, of course, uh, supportive housing, but that, that's flexible and plentiful and accessible for people as they need it right now. Um, and then, oh, God, goodness. Um, well, and then, of course, we're, we're looking at housing for specific groups, such as, you know, indigenous people, racialized, uh, racialized people, people with disabilities, and, of course, women and gender diverse folks in, in all of these categories as well. So there's a lot, uh, but I only have three years, and I have, a, I have a team of 10. But we've got our hands in there, and we're going to do the best that we absolutely can because this is a vocation for every single one of us. I couldn't agree more, and I think it's, it's so important that uh, you have such a wealth of understanding of what that housing crisis really looks like. You know, you're coming at it from not just someone in the sector, but someone, you know, as you know, someone who is impacted by this just as much as the rest of us are. And I think with that understanding, you know, I'm really excited to see what you do in those three years with that team of 10. Um, and, and with that, what, what do you hope to achieve in this role with that time frame? Well, this is a new and unique role. Um, so first of all, I'm setting the tone for the future. And so this is a big feat, um, you know, and, and the role is very unique. So we have a huge opportunity here to tackle long-standing systemic issues with these new tools, um, like the Advocates Role, the National Housing Council, and the National Housing Strategy. We're focused on improving the National Housing Strategy so that it is human rights-based and so that it has more successful outcomes um, you know, and, and, and to make sure that that's, that's within reach. Uh, inadequate housing and homelessness, as we all know, are complex and, um, you know, there's structural and systemic problems, but we need to work together to solve them. I'm really happy to be working with organizations that are on the ground, that are empowering people to reach, you know, and to demand that their rights be respected uh, as, as well, and we're here to support uh, these organizations. Uh, right now, we're, um, we're working to build partnerships in all sectors, uh, getting all levels of government involved and to working together. 
and quite frankly, this is new territory for all of us, and it is an opportunity to work together at all levels to address longstanding systemic issues and homelessness issues. But, uh, you know, I think the first three years was really about getting the tools um, on, you know, my colleagues have been saying they've, they've been building the plane as we're flying it, and that is really it. Now the plane is mostly built, we're testing it, and, um, you know, we're, we're going to see what we can achieve and set the tone for the future. Well, I can't wait to see uh, how high you guys fly with that plane and having been part of teams like that as well. I think, you know, it's something that sounds scary and is a ton of work, but in the end, if when you pull it off, it's you have a plane flying in the sky. So <laughs> talk to us. It's early here. I'm sorry for my metaphors. Uh, talk to us a bit about the submissions process and what you and the council will be looking for in a claim in order for it to move forward to the review panel. Well, as I've mentioned, we've just opened submissions to the public, so anyone in Canada who has experienced inadequate housing or homelessness can make a submission. Uh, there's also a stream for organizations to make um, submissions on behalf of people. So anyone can make a submission online or by using a printable form, and there's support phone number with Service Canada for people who need uh, help filling out the form. Uh, and anyone can find that on our website as well. So I want to emphasize again that this isn't a solution for people's individual problems. Uh, instead, it's to look at system-wide issues and how we can make change on a large scale. I realize that some people do need individual help with their current housing. So we've partnered with 211 so that anyone who needs support in their community can call and access those services. And from those submissions, we'll review them all, analyze them to understand what's happening on the ground. Uh, I mean, from our individual expertise, we, we, we have an idea or we know, you know some things, but it's, a, it's about the details and it, it is a national um, reach, you know, so that it's not just Ottawa or Toronto or Vancouver. Uh, it's from coast to coast to coast. So it's important that we're able to capture voices from all over. And, um, and then we'll be able to examine the issues more closely. And, you know, we need to understand what communities uh, and groups these issues are impacting the most. So when there is an issue that is systemic and warrants more review, um, the advocate will, has two options, to conduct an advocate-led review or to send the issue to a review panel by the National Housing Council. And as I've mentioned before, uh, in both cases, the reviews will consult with communities affected by the issue, people with lived experience, as well as experts in housing and human rights. And when an issue is referred to the National Housing Council, they'll form a review panel to examine the issue. There will be a public hearing. And that maybe is the distinction between an advocate-led review and a council review is that it is a public hearing. Um, and with an opportunity for folks impacted to participate. In both cases, uh, the reviews will issue a final report with recommendations to resolve the issue. And the person or groups who bring forward the submission, they're also notified along the way. And they might be inv invited, if they wish, to participate um, in, and to speak. So this is an access to justice mechanism that will help make sure that we're finding solutions for issues that people are experiencing and that they're really importantly meaningfully involved.
Just amazing and, and so important. And listen, listeners, if you listen to nothing else during this podcast, and I hope that's not the case, make sure you got that last point. That's the process. It's an important process. It was put in place because there's a huge need across the country. And let's just fast forward three years from now. You have solved the housing crisis. No, no pressure. Uh, but the fundamental causes of the housing crisis were addressing Canada, if that was the case, whether it's three years or more. Um, what would a healthy and equitable housing situation look like? in your mind well one i would be dead and buried um i'm kidding with all the pressure but you know this is the progressive uh, realization so we do have to keep and keep that in mind and managing expectations will be really big that being said you know if we keep housing as a human right front and center and the framework that you know through which we um, focus on outcomes rather than outputs uh, that where housing is seen as a fundamental right and it's not financialized which let's face it it drives up the cost for everyone it's not just in the rental market but also in the mortgage market everyone is affected by financialization and you know that that we see the housing system as a whole starting from transitional housing rooming houses purpose-built rentals community housing home ownership um, and, and not just with home ownership being heralded as a symbol of we've made it in life, you know, recognizing, however, uh, that in some areas, such as in the north or even in some indigenous communities, purpose-built rental um, market will not fulfill the needs. So home ownership, uh, you know, can't just be seen as a bourgeois aspiration either. So there needs to be a balance in, in that definition. Um, in my dream of dreams, really, uh, uh, 50% of purpose-built rentals in each area across the country would be owned and operated by nonprofit housing corporations and housing cooperatives. And, and just their presence alone, not necessarily, you know, it's mixed income, not necessarily them providing the housing subsidies, but um, just the fact that they operate at nonprofit, I hope, would have enough of an impact on the rental market to stabilize it and they are known for providing long-term housing affordability and as far as i'm concerned they're the best use of public funds in achieving long-term adequate housing for people in core housing need and and you know being there as people move in and out of core housing need throughout their lives so um that's what my dream is maybe not well three years that that would be amazing but you know it takes a long time to even build housing as a developer i know that um, but you know, this is where I really hope we get. Well, you know, if we've learned one thing from the pandemic, uh, when housing was very front and center, when there is the will and the dollars, this sector, as you talked about the nonprofit housing sector co-ops, we can move mountains, we can move fast. And we saw that through rapid housing. Hey, this is one thing that's, that's really, really worked. So we can do this now. No pressure for you to actually pull that off within three years, of course. Uh, I think we'll have a very good start. We'll have a, a foundation. And listen, you know, in, in 2017, the National Housing Strategy, uh, the advocate role, people were pushy, pushy. When's that going to happen? When's it going to happen? When they finally announced it. I know I sent you that email. I, I don't think the sector could have been more accepting and also like saying to, wow, that makes sense. If we're going to have a first person do that, uh, an excellent choice. So congratulations. We are so pumped. Um, and you talked about accessibility. I don't think you can ask for a more accessible person in this role. That's a big, uh, big part of it. And, and we learned so much 
about the role yourself and your goals on today's show. Uh, and we know you're very, very busy building that plane uh, as it flies. So thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your, your wisdom. Much appreciated. Thanks so much for having me. It really has been an honor. Awesome. Wow. What, what a journey and what a, a you know, Steph, I, I know you said you, you chose, like you, you sacrificed to come on at 6am <laughs> for, for the show, but great choice uh, for your last show to come on. What a wonderful thing. And this is so exciting and it's so big uh, for our, our sector across the country to have uh, Marie Jose as our housing advocate, don't you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I was really excited when you said you had made this connection and it was already booked and I could just slide into those DMs and get in there and <laughs> be able to, you know, have a conversation with her. Because um, she, her and that role are something that we've been waiting a long time for. You know, I, I had the opportunity to be part of that group who uh, we're advocating for, you know, the right to housing legislation to get implemented, you know, to create these really unique uh, mechanisms to ensure that progressive realization, as MJ noted. And I think it's just really exciting to see where it can go. They're finally in place. We have someone uh, who is taking on that first that first hit at it. And I think she's going to do a really great job. And so from what I heard, though, it's all going to be solved in three years. Do I, so I can like afford to buy a house. Yeah, you in heard three it. You years. heard it here first. Yeah. Confirmed. We heard it here <laughs> it was first. A guarantee. Folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but really, like, I just think it's going to be uh, an exciting process to watch. And I'm just glad there's someone who understands the problem and is really dedicated to to working on it. Yeah, and it, it takes the political out of it. I mean, I think one of the one of the big challenges always when and, and you're talking with different political parties, their mandate, uh, if it's minority government, can be very short, or it could be you know four or five years, and you know beyond that mandate, they're, they're looking for votes, whatever. This gives a voice to the real things. It pushes you know, a voice that pushes the minister and others to take action, and they have to mandated there. Uh, so it's just amazing and and really exciting to see. Uh, this is just the start, uh, as MJ said. So let's see what happens. I think we, we can have uh, her on as her time allows as a regular guest to update us as to what's happening uh, and how uh, she plans on solving uh, the housing crisis within three years. <laughs> of course, how they are moving forward yeah. and laying the groundwork for that to happen. And I believe there's going to be a lot of learnings along the way. And hey, like I said, uh, if you're old enough to remember Seinfeld. I am. Uh, I am. You are, right? So George Costanza <laughs> would always say one thing too many. And his big thing, his big learning was to leave on a high note. <laughs> say, you know, like have a great guest yep. and then just run out of the room because he knew the next thing he was going to do was going to be an epic fail. You are definitely leaving <laughs> on a high note. And on behalf of all of us on A Way Home, and I mean, I guess that's just me. But <laughs> <laughs> we, I wish you the best. You're going to do great stuff. You're going to be missed here. But you're, you know... Uh, kind of like the Hotel California, you're, you're checking out, but you never leave. Uh, hopefully you'll, you'll be a welcome guest back. And who knows what the future will hold? Totally. So do you think? Who knows? Who knows? I would love any opportunity to work with you again, uh, Michael. It's been so great. I'm so glad that I got this opportunity to start a podcast with you, you know, you know, from the success of your former podcast, of course. So I'm really, really glad that uh, I got that chance because it was just such a highlight 
of my time at the CAH. And it was so incredible to hear people bring up, oh, hey, I listened to the podcast or I've caught it. Like, it's so great and uh, unprompted, which is always for me, the telling genuine one. Right. And uh, that was really heartwarming, honestly. I'm really, really going to miss the 6 a.m. calls, the 10 a.m. calls, all of them. <laughs> and yeah, hopefully I will definitely be on again for sure. Thank you. Fantastic. From humble beginnings too. And, and so listeners know uh, Steph's intro to the podcast was her, her boss, Tim Richter, saying, and Steph's going to co-host the podcast. And that was news to her. Uh, and like a champ, she stepped in. She's done an awesome job. She has brought that class. It has been an honor. And we are leaving on a high note another great episode of On The Way Home. We'll see you next time. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.